Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. We can avoid that. We don't want to upset any Barcelona fans by giving out any wrong information. Anyway. <laughs> um, did you? Uh, where are you now, Mano? Did you make it out of the? Did you make it out of the snow? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, finally, theoretically, I fly today at at four oh. p.m. So it's like after the podcast, I have to do a couple of I have a meeting with Luis too, mm-hmm. and then I have to go to the airport, and um, we will see because actually the delay in the flights it's around three hours. So maybe if, if it stays four p.m., but I don't think so that I will fly till till the evening. <laughs> What is it? We recorded in the podcast from the airport waiting room. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly be more glamorous than where I am. Let's say that. <laughs> I won't even mention where I am. You guys know already. <laughs> are you not in are you not in Berlin yet? <laughs> no, you, you gotta know where Joanna is. <laughs> Joanna Joanna is in are you in Berlin or It's specifically where she is in Berlin is the most interesting. In Berlin, in my apartment, in the storage room, sitting together with the trash cans. (laughs) That's the place in the apartment where there's less eco. So ah, okay, okay. Uh, So it's very, very glamorous to to do the podcast every week. Podcasting is a really glamorous thing. Don't don't give away any of the magic to any of our listeners. (laughs) Anyway, joining me, Ima Court, on today's uh, Euro One Football Podcast is Joanna. Bueno. Hello. And Manu Dominguez. Hi, everyone. Uh, nice background noise there, Manu. <laughs> yeah, it was, sorry, it was just my sister. <laughs> oh, hello to your sister. If you want to record it again. No, 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 that's fine. We can we can keep going. Uh, should the Premier League be your cup of tea? Dan Burke hosts a weekly Premier League podcast on that very on this very same feed, which you can catch every Monday or Tuesday. Uh, if more worldly things are your interest, then stick with us. The email address remains the same. If you want to get in touch, send over any questions. That is podcast at onefootball.com. Manu, uh, I was going to ask you the most important question first, which is, did you make it out of the snow? But you still haven't made it out of the out of the Spanish snow. Uh, so let's get cracking then with uh, the midweek Super Copa action. Uh, Barcelona went through. Real Madrid did not. No, no. At the end, we, we are not going to have a classical final on Sunday. Unfortunately, for those ones who want to watch always this Barcelona and Real Madrid, because they, they used to be exciting. But, but yeah, actually, I, I love it like... that they used to be exciting. <laughs> He's right, it, though. It's, it's not exciting anymore. Yes, it's true. No, actually, with no Ronaldo, no Mourinho, no Guardiola, it's it's, it's not that those big parties at the at the beginning of the of the 2010s and 2011. But yeah, I mean, we have to say that the new format of the Supercopa is is quite interesting. It's the second time with these four teams playing semifinals and finals, only one match. You know, nothing to do with this Supercopa in summer, like two legs that nobody was was exciting to watch and actually it was trying to use for the coach in order to prepare the teams for, for the season. At the end, in this in this season, for example, we are in the middle of the season, January, you know, it's the first trophy of the season and it could be like a really big, a really big uh, jump for, for in, the, in, the, in this case, Barcelona, if, if they are able to win the trophy uh, before facing against PSG in, in Champions League. So so it's, it's quite important. But regarding to the matches, I don't know if you had the opportunity to, to watch uh, both of them. At the end, it shows the, the image that we can see this season in La Liga. Real Madrid and Barcelona, they are not so strong. That's why they are not in the top of, of La Liga. Atletico is, is so far the, the best this season. And 
Real Madrid lost against Bilbao and Barcelona could lose as well against Real Sociedad because if it's not for Ter Stegen, we, we, we had to talk again about mm. a past country final like in the Copa del Rey. Yeah, Ter Stegen, he, he, he kept the minute, didn't he, really? Yeah, yeah. In the extra time, he did three saves that, you know, if something right, Messi in his T-shirt, people could 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 believe that Messi was 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 winning the game as well. Uh, what happened with Real Madrid? Mm, Real Madrid throw to the trash the first half. I mean, the first half of Real Madrid was terrible, uh, and they were like two zero two zero behind with Lucas Vázquez committing like two really big mistakes in the first two goals. And then in the second half, I think that Zidane is not able to to give something different to Real Madrid. He's trying to use this option to put balls in the area with Benzema and Sergio Ramos. He was playing as, as, as a striker the last 15 minutes of the match, but it was not enough. At the end, Benzema scored one goal that it was validated for the PAR. And, and Real Madrid did his best. That's true that in the second half they played better than Atleti de Bilbao. But when you are playing against a team who is co- which is coached for Marcelino, which is an, an amazing coach, and mm. he just arrived two weeks ago to Bilbao and he's already in the in the position to win the, the first trophy with with the Bilbao team, it's it's complicated. It's it's, it's very different. It's very dif- difficult. And even for example, I don't know if you had the option to watch the match. I didn't understand the change of. Ben- Benzema. Benzema was substituted in the 88 after scoring a goal, Real Madrid needing a goal, and suddenly you replaced your best player for Mariano, who actually he had played probably 30 minutes this season. I mean, it's going really weird with, with Zinedine Zidane in, in the last three or four weeks. Yeah, I've, I've been reading through Marca and it's pretty clear from them that there's a lot of pressure on Zidane right now and a lot of people are not happy with him and, and the choices that he's making. That, does, that, does that about sum it up? Yeah, especially because he as a lot of people criticize Zidane that he's not able to 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 give opportunities to new to new people, to, mm. to, to new players, to young ones. At the end, Tony Cross, Luka Modric, uh, Casemiro and Benzema, and even Lucas Vázquez, they are the ones who, who are playing always. And a lot of people asking why Martin Odegaard is not playing at all. Martin Odegaard was probably one of the top three, top five best players last season in La Liga. Theoretically, he, he should stay one season longer in Real Sociedad, but actually Zidane, the marker reported in, in summer that was Zidane who asked to, to, to count with, with Odegaard this season. And at the end, Martin Odegaard, he disappeared yesterday. He even not warming up. He, he trained after the game, a kind of... Kind of he, He's not in shape, but I mean, we are talking a guy who is 20, 21 years old. So it's 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 really weird the situation with him. Um, for example, Luka Jovic, all of us we have already read that he's he's in Frankfurt again. Real Madrid spent 60 million for him, and Zidane didn't give him the the chance to to play. So a lot of people criticize Zidane that why his friends, let us say, you know his his old players, they are the ones who are playing every match every minute and, and at the end you know you cannot do a, a transition in order to, to improve the team it is amazing that Isco and is getting minutes ahead of uh, ahead of Odegaard and, and at this stage Odegaard might be what the sixth choice midfielder mm-hmm. if you have Modric Kroos Casemiro Valverde Isco and then yeah. Odegaard yeah yeah Odegaard is, is, is the last the last the last option for that's Zidane. amazing 
And especially, you know, I think that Kiran still chooses Isco, even if Isco is not in shape, and even a lot of people there are already reporting that he could move to, to Premier League with with Ancelotti. But Isco, three, four years ago, he, he was a, a Zidane guy, you know, and Zidane, mm. he protect his players. Uh, even, for example, Zidane was trying to, to, to use Marcelo, you know, Joanna, Joanna, Joanna knows perfectly how, how Marcelo is performing in, in the last two seasons. And there was a moment that even the people, the, the supporters of Real Madrid asked Zidane, it's not possible to play with Marcelo because the results were, were there. Always when Marcelo was playing, Real Madrid was being defeated in Champions League. And, but with Isco, is kind of the same. He's giving him an, the next chance, the next chance, the next chance. With, with Lucas Vázquez, a lot of them too. But uh, no chance, no opportunities to, to Odegaard. And, and Real Madrid fans are, are really angry. Okay, how long before Sergio Ramos is playing at PSG with the alongside Leo Messi? <laughs> it could be. It, it could happen in in six months. It, it really uh, could, I, right? Yeah, it really could. But it, it's going to be interesting because I think that for those people that they are not PSG fans, uh, people in general, you know, football fans in general, they don't like PSG. Imagine if Lionel Messi, which is like the, the number one for Barcelona, and Sergio Ramos, which actually is the number one for Real Madrid, move to PSG. What, what is going to change there? Do you think that people is going to still hate PSG? Or finally, Ramos fans and Messi fans, they're going to start to love PSG? It, it could be interesting, this, this if, if, if the move happened. I'd love to see it. Come on, Sergio Ramos and Lee and Messi on the same team, Joanna? No. And Neymar and Mbappe and Di Maria. I mean, mm. that would be quite a team. Yeah, and Draxler. Don't forget Draxler. He's there too. <laughs> and Draxler, I keep forgetting because I don't see him playing. But yeah, that would be that would be cool. Uh, Barcelona of late. Uh, it feels like they've turned a corner, or is that just being too optimistic? No, I think that there is. It has been an improvement in the last four or five matches. And actually, I think everything started when Kuman decided to, to leave for once this, this formation 4 2 3 1. Then he started with the option to play with three in the back, but now he recovered, uh, Kuman uh, took back the classic 4 3 3 with Busquets in the, in the midfield. And the last four matches of Barcelona, they are quite good. Even the other day against Real Sociedad. Even if it was Ter Stegen in the in the extra time, the the, the, the MVP, uh, Barcelona played a good match without Messi against one of the best teams in 2020. I think that Barcelona did, did a good job because especially De Jong is is growing a lot. Busquets is taking his place, um, especially Pedri. Pedri is is being this guy between the lines, able to connect between the midfield and and the strikers. And finally, if you have like already a formation and you have already players that they are confident what they are doing, especially the midfield, because always the, the strongest Barcelona is that one which is based on the on the midfield. And then you have a Lionel Messi and he scores because the main problem for Messi in the first two three months is that he he was he, he was having a lot of chances, but he was not able to score. He, his ratio was like kind of one goal every around nine or ten shots. And in the last five days, in the last five match days, he has scored already six, seven goals. So he has seven goals in 15 or seven goals in, in 18. So, you know, there is the difference. The difference is making by goals and the goal in Barcelona has already a name and it's Lionel Messi. 
And Manu, I have a question for you. Do you think that Barcelona improved because Messi improved, or is it the other way around? It Be Messi improved because Barcelona is playing better, because they I, both started the season very, very bad. Even I mean, you can't really say that Messi is bad, but he didn't start the season being Messi. We kind of thought he was a bit like, okay, I have to do this one season because it's in my contract, and and now he's a completely different player. <laughs> I would say that is the second version because I think that Kuman found already the, the the place for Messi. It's like with with this new formation, what Kuman is trying to do it is that Messi doesn't have to go to the bottom to start to start to start the game like like a playmaker, kind of kind of chubby. And it's something that used to happen with Messi in Argentina that he, he goes for the ball, but then he doesn't have chances to 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 reach the to reach close to the goalkeeper and try to score a goal. But now with this new formation, it's a kind of a stir with Busquets being in the bottom. Then you have the John and Pedri, and they put the ball close to the to to uh, close to the objective, to the to the other goalkeeper, and there is where where Messi actually is 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 really valuable. And a, a second point in my in my opinion, it's really interesting is the 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 Osman Dembélé. I mean, Osman Dembélé is giving to Barcelona the option to have a player which is really open and at the same time open the open the field and Messi has more spaces even when they have to face against like really strong defense with a lot of players uh, really together then Belay give this opportunity this option to okay I'm able to do this one and one this dribbling people they have to take to keep an eye on me and then Messi is more free in order to 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 to, to find the best options to 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 shot I have to say that the rate ratio of no scoring scoring of Messi in the first half of the season was no normal because he's a guy when he's in front of the goalkeeper every five shots he scored four and in the first season he was missing everything or shooting against the post or the keepers were doing a, a, a good saves and now with a little bit more um, let us say normal Messi because I don't think that Messi is at his top level at all but Messi is just being a little bit better with better chances, Barcelona at the end is scoring goals and, and winning the matches. And even Antoine Griezmann is playing well. Oof, uh, he's <laughs> <laughs> well, he scored. He scored two against Granada. Yeah, he scored two against Granada, but he's not the Griezmann that people expect about him. I mean, Griezmann was a, a, a player in Atletico de Madrid, which actually he was doing this kind of messy, messy role to, to keep in the ball, to move in the team, to, to be in contact with the ball 10, 10, 15, 20, 25 times per, 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 per half time. And this Griezmann, okay, he can score because he's an amazing goal and he has a, a really good left foot. But he, it, it seems that he's a ghost when Barcelona is attacking. Even Bradweight uh, touched more, uh, most, more the ball than him. And that's why, for example, something that I don't, I don't like it. I, I need a striker that, that, you know, that take part of the attack, that move, that, that that's the role that Griezmann was doing in Atletico de Madrid. At least, for example, when, when Messi is not in is not in the team against Eibar, Griezmann has the opportunity to show, okay, Messi is not in the team, I'm gonna play as number 10, everything is gonna be around me, and he disappeared. You cannot disappear when, when when people are when the team needs needs you. Even he didn't shoot the penalty, it was it was Bradwitt. But yeah, after seeing his penalty against Real Sociedad, now I can understand why why Griezmann <laughs> didn't want to shoot the penalty against Eibar. Uh, we did sort of joke a little bit about Messi playing at PSG, but um, can you talk us through his contract situation as it stands and where you think it looks to be going? Yeah, his contract expires uh, at the end of June. 
as everyone knows, he already said that he didn't take any decision. He even promised in the interview that he that he did with Jordi Evelyn in, in, at the end of the year mm-hmm. that he has not spoken with any team, that he has not spoken with any candidate to become president of Barcelona. So I guess that he is waiting. He's waiting to see how how the team works. And I think it's very positive for him to him to see that without Messi, Barcelona was able to to reach the final in the Supercopa and probably without Messi because I don't, I'm not really sure if he's going to play against Bilbao if Barcelona is able to to, to reach to reach the trophy without him and then I'm completely sure if he realizes okay the team is playing well we have like a really good numbers of young players that they are you know like improving this season like Pedri like Araujo Mingueza Ansu Fati who is injured if he sees that okay there is future here in the short term because finally for Messi it's stupid to think in the long term because he's already 33 years old if he sees that there is future to win trophies next year and in two years probably he will, he will decide to stay but at that time it's only only Messi can can know what is he going to do after the season. Okay. And is there an update on the presidential elections too? Mm, the presidential elections, no. theoretically, the, 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 uh, he, he didn't want to, to say anything about the elections. He mm-hmm. already spoke that, that there is not a candidate who has spoken with him uh, already. But of course, Joan Laporte is, is the, the favorite one. Mm-hmm. Joan Laporte is a good friend of, of Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi spoke really good about Laporta in his last interview. So we will see what happens. But with Laporta, I would say that it's close. it could be closer a little bit, even if I think that Messi is going to leave at the end of the season. I think it could be a little bit closer that he could stay and sign a new contract. Okay. Anything else we should know from uh, La Liga, Manu? Mm. You, you yeah, think you think about praising example. Sevilla? Yes, but but actually, I recommend you to spoke about about Sevilla. But then Sevilla played against Atlético de Madrid on Tuesday, and they lost two zero. So it's not you know ah, okay. not, not so trendy. But still, Sevilla is fifth, <laughs> is fifth in the table with two matches less than Real Madrid, Barcelona and, Real, and Villarreal. So if Sevilla win these two matches, it could be in the top three. So Lopetegui is doing a, an amazing season again. Again, and they found that his number nine, El Nesiri, he scored already seven goals this season. And it seems that he could be one of the top scorers in, in La Liga in at the end of the of the season. Okay. Uh, Joanna, last week we discussed the first round of the Copa Libertadores. Uh, this week came uh, the second rounds, and uh, for those who didn't see it, it was a, it was a pretty extraordinary game between Palmeiras and River, uh, with the with the Brazil side almost uh, swiping right when the picture of disaster appeared. Uh, for those who who missed out, maybe you could uh, fill them in on what happened because it went down to did I get it right? The tenth minute of injury time. Yeah, well, actually, it was two matches completely different one from the other and two teams that, you know, in the first match was like Palmeiras dominated. It was a beautiful exhibition from Palmeiras. I mean, we hadn't seen a Brazilian team play that well, probably since last year when Flamengo started winning everything. And it was beautiful to see that. And against a River Plate that kind of didn't have any options. It's not that River played bad. It's just that Palmeiras completely dominated the match. And then they win 3-0, they go to the second leg, and you just don't recognize the same Palmeiras. It looks like they put on the B team, the academy team, the under-16 or something like that. 
I think it was a bit of like it was a bit of Palmeiras' fault because they came in a bit like okay, we won three 0 away, so this is at home. You know, we're already in the final, and then River Plate completely motivated, like okay, we we have to score three goals to take it to penalties. We can we can score four and make it to the finals. Let's do it. And Palmeiras had uh, less than forty percent ball possession. They didn't shoot on goal. They actually, I think, they shot on goal just once in the whole match, and it was like in the fight in the first five or ten minutes. And it was completely different. So you can't really know if it was because Palmeiras played so bad and River played, so, or or because River played so well. But it was two d- matches that didn't seem like they were among the, the 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 same teams. But yeah, it was it was a completely it was very um, tough for them and for the for the referee too because there was some mm. offsides there was some penalties there was some mm. var decisions that were yeah. very controversial also a lot of free kicks so i guess the the 10 extra minutes were not exaggerated i think it, you know all the time that the referee that took to make those decisions that came back in the end it must be exhausting being a referee in south america it's just especially, it must be so stressful every single game. Yeah, especially if you're refereeing a match between a Brazilian team and an Argentinian team because the rivalry is so fierce that anything can happen there and the match is so tough. Uh, I mean, probably the Argentinians say that about Brazil, but we say that the Argentinians are, you know, tough and hard and they come for it, you know, they they mm. just stick your the, the sole of your of your boot on your leg and maybe they say that about us as well I, I don't think they do but that it's it's a very tense match for you to work on right did you what did you make of those those two penalty shots at the end probably right yeah I would say. Yeah. yeah I agree with the referee I think it was tough decisions but I think it was right in the end okay uh, what happens now with uh, Marcelo Gallardo and uh, Manu you might even have an opinion on this because uh, he's been with River for quite some time done some very very good stuff yeah, yeah he's, he's been saying, with River since 2014 I mean mm. in South America that's a miracle <laughs> right yeah, Manu I, yeah and doing a, an amazing job it's two, two Copa Libertadores he won I guess in the in the last six six seasons yeah, he won two yeah. Libertadores. He won one uh, South American Cup, which is our Europa League, and he also made it to another final that he lost last year. So and, and yeah, against you know, Flamengo, that's true, yeah. Yeah, so he he's very very good. And I mean, I, River lost players, of course. I mean, in South America, you play very well one or two seasons, you go to Europe. There's no escape, or even to other teams in South America. So he managed to lose players, but managed to to keep the same level of football within the team. You know, playing very high level, play, going to Libertadores final. But maybe now he's reached his peak and. I don't know. A move. Uh, he said that he wouldn't talk about it until the end of the season, but maybe a move to Europe is is near. Manu, yeah, have, have he, you heard anything he about that? Yeah, I just heard that uh, in the press conference before the second match against against Palmeiras, he said that he would speak about his future. So he 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 didn't confirm that he was going to stay in, in in River Plate next season. Mm-hmm. And I I would like to ask to ask Joanna and even to ask you, Ian, where do you think that could fit better uh, Marcelo Gallardo in Europe? Because for example, I have always thought that he could move to PSG because he's he was a kind of legend there when when PSG was a different PSG. He was not like this 
uh, superstars team. But now with Pochettino, this 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 team is so the doors of this team uh, are closed. So I don't know. In maybe in Italy, in Spain. Yeah. Well, usually Argentinian coaches, they start in Europe, in Spain, or they do very well in Spain because I think the language helps. So I would I would say that maybe he's a guy for Spain, but uh, we don't really see the top teams in Spain needing a coach right now. So my guess is that maybe if Simeone gives up on Atletico, if he decides to leave because he's been in Atletico for what, like 10 years maybe? Mm-hmm. So if maybe Simeone decides to leave he could be the replacement or he would start with a more medium team like Valencia or Sevilla or, or Real Madrid when they suck it down right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no, that, that's I mean, a good one but uh, Real yeah, Madrid yeah, last yeah. time that they hired the coach directly from South America it didn't go very well who was that <laughs> Luxembourg oh yeah <laughs> yeah that didn't quite go well <laughs> that's true uh, no, I, I remember I remember last year when Barcelona fired Ernesto Valverde, there were some rumors about that Barcelona was thinking in, in Marcelo Gallardo, at the end was Kike Setien, and I don't know, I think that he, he, he's the uh, let me. Say, I don't follow the the the, Brazil, the Brazilian around Brazilian teams, but for the Spanish speakers, Marcelo Gallardo is like kind of the king coach there in in, in Latam. I mean, what everything ha- he has he has done with with River Play, and actually everyone in Spain would like to see him in a top 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 team in Europe. But as you say, currently it's, it's difficult to find a place in in Spain. Maybe in Italy. I think that he could he could train in Italy because, for example, Simeone's first experience as a coach was in Italy too. So. I don't know, maybe there one Lacho, one Napoli or or those teams, it could be like it could fit for him too. I think it would be nice to see him in the Premier League, but I just can't see any club taking as big as River Plate are, I just and as big as the Copa Libertadores is, I couldn't see a Premier League club taking uh a chance like that. Not a big one at least. And then why would he go to a smaller club? Because he's much bigger than that. That would be I guess that would be my take on it. Um, elsewhere, uh, Santos, uh, my God, no money, uh, in, an impeached president, coronavirus outbreaks, tons of injuries, doing nothing in the league, essentially. And yet, they're in the final of the Copa Libertadores. Yeah. Also, uh, you forgot that they, they got punished by FIFA, so they can't hire anyone this season. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that. they, yeah, they have no signings either. Yeah. Uh, how on earth are they doing it, Joanna? <laughs> that's I don't know. I can't really, <laughs> I can't really explain it to you because it's been a surprise for everyone in Brazil. I mean, it's not like they have a bad squad; they don't have it, but they're, they're not the Flamengo or the Palmeiras of or Grêmio even. I mean, nobody bet on Santos. I mean, last year they were second place, and nobody bet on them to be second place last year. And even doing the second place last year nobody bet on them this year again and they lost the coach who was probably the main responsible to to bringing them to the second place uh, Jorge Sampaoli from Argentina he didn't uh, renew his contract because you know he had some differences with the direction of the club so he went to Atletico Mineiro and actually, uh, Santos started really, really bad. They hired the Portuguese coach last year after Flamengo, you know, won everything with Jorge Jesus. They said, you know what? We're going for Portuguese <laughs> coaches. So they hired a Portuguese coach that didn't do very well at the start of the season. So he got fired right before the beginning of the Brazilian home. Then they uh, brought back Cuca 
who had been a coach for, for, for Santos before. He had won the Libertadores with Atlético Mineiro in 2013. And, uh, you know, he's a good coach, but you didn't really expect, okay, this team is going to be the one fighting for titles. They're not really at the top of the table in, in Brasileirão, although... Um, They're not doing bad, but they are just, they surprised everyone in the Libertadores and I think they surprised Boca Juniors even more. Yeah, I, I mean, at halftime, uh, Boca were still in it. I think it was just a goal down, uh, obviously with the way goals applying, so that makes a difference. Um, Boca seemed to have lost it though in the second half. Just yeah. lost their head a little bit. Yeah, you can't really explain that, but at the same time, you um, I said that Santos doesn't have the best squad, but they do have some really good good individual players mm. like they have uh, Lucas Verissimo in the defense I mean maybe he's the best defender in the in the year in Brazil he's going to Benfica you know Jorge Jesus signed him to Benfica so now he's gonna arrive there a little bit later because he's gonna play the final and he did an amazing job against Boca I mean maybe this I is the center back right Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also Soteldo, who's a, who's from Venezuela. And every year we say, you know, he's too good for Santos, he's going to leave. And they managed to keep him in the, in, the, in, the, in the team. But most of all, Marinho, who is 30 years old, but is an amazing player and is just now getting the recognition that he deserves for a long time now. And he was the man of the match. I mean, the, the, the third goal, he just comes into the box like dribbling past everyone he does a perfect pass back and then there's another goal that's that play actually summarizes what he's been doing for Santos the whole season I mean maybe the beginning of the season he was just carrying the team on his back you know and now the other players probably motivated by being in a final and being kind of the underdog because nobody was betting on them they just followed his lead and uh, I have to say before the After the first leg, when Palmeiras had done that amazing match against River and uh, Santos had played against Boca, not bad, but they didn't win. And everyone was saying, okay, Palmeiras is favorite, they're going to win everything. But now, after this last match, everyone is saying, like, no, Santos is going to be the winner. Santos has a better team. Whoa. Marinho is playing a better football. Like, everyone in the Brazilian media, in the Brazilian basketball football, everyone changed their minds. Okay. Uh, did, well, yeah, I was going to ask you for a preview, but maybe we can do that in a second because I do want to just quickly discuss uh, another superb red card uh, in this game from uh, from Frank Fabra on the What the hell the was that? This was amazing. Stamps down, literally just stamps down and then acts all innocent again. I love this. It's my favorite type of red card. Yeah, he just like completely stepped on his stomach. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how Mario kept in the pitch after that because he must have hurt a lot. But yeah, at least the, the ref, that's what I say when Argentinians are known in Brazil for being tough. It's not just being tough as in playing, but also as in, you know, not playing, as in doing the fouls and being a bit mean to the other players. And that was kind of what happened. But at least the referee saw that and gave him a red card like immediately because sometimes things like that happen and it's just a yellow. So it was pretty good to see that he was actually punished for that because, I mean, I, I would actually 
suggest to Comebol to suspend him for a few more matches because that was very unfair. Uh, the final, like we were saying last week, will be in the the Maracana, uh, the almost, is it a spiritual home of Santos? Is, is that the sort of thinking behind it? Yeah, well, actually, it was, I mean, of course, Maracana was chosen as the final way before Santos qualified for the final. But in 63, that amazing Santos that had Pelé, but not just Pelé, but other amazing players, uh, played the Libertadores final against Boca Juniors, actually, in the Maracana. And that team used to play a lot in the Maracana because it was an amazing team. uh, Probably one of the best, you know, club squads we've seen ever in history. And it was too big to play in Santos. It was too big too big to play in Santos Stadium or even in Sao Paulo and Maracanã was the biggest stadium in the world back then I mean it's still very big but now after you know uh, so lots of renovations it cut down the attendance maximum a lot but still it's you know it's still Maracanã so they used to play there a lot big to make sure that the most the biggest number of people could see Pelé playing so it was very mystical then and and Maracanã is in Rio for for those of you who don't know Brazil Maracanã is in Rio in the Rio state and Santos plays in Sao Paulo state it's like 600 kilometers away but it was for like for the good of the people let's make everyone watch uh, Santos in the 60s TV was not that big yet so that's how they used to do. So it's going to be a bit of a, you know, a, a little bit of a mystique to see Santos play a Libertadores final in Maracana again. Okay. And if you had to choose a winner, who are you going for? I am actually going for Palmeiras okay. because I think Palmeiras, since uh, Abel Ferreira, the coach, uh, the Portuguese coach, <laughs> arrived, they, uh, they're more stable, they're more regular, as in they don't play... Well, of course, they had one really bad match recently, but apart from that one, they have been playing uh, very good football and have been evolving. Uh, in, and I think in all aspects of the game, like they have a great goalkeeper, they're defending very well. The transition from attack to defense and defense to attack has been, you know, was the main problem in Palmeiras before uh, Ferreira arrived. So I think they kind of fixed that. And they also have good players that can individually go there, score goals, you know, decide the match. Although I, I said earlier that everyone is betting on Santos because of their last performance and because of Marinho mostly. Nevertheless, it's going to be a tough and a good match to watch. It's It's been a while since we've had a Brazilian final in the Libertadores. So it's a Brazilian final in Brazil, which is even better. Uh, elsewhere in Brazil, um, <clears throat> there's the Brasileiro. Oh, Brasileiro. Did I get it right? Yeah, Brasileiro. Uh, and hmm. one of the best title races around, uh, Joanna, or the worst, because as you were saying to me, no one really wants to be champion. Isn't that right? Yeah, we had that in 2009. Like, there was three or four teams back then playing uh, for the title and every match day they would lose. So, like, no one would take the opportunity that the, the top of the table lost to, to win their, their match and go for it. The title back then ended up with Flamengo. But I don't think it will happen this time. But it's it's the title race it resembles that one very much, with the difference that now we have six teams. We have nine match days to go, and six teams are still fighting for the title. So I, it's probably the the most the the. T- 
toughest match race we've seen in the Brasileirão since they started the league format because you know Brasileirão had different <laughs> different formats mm -hmm. up until 2003 and we started the league format in 2003 so I think this is the toughest one but at the same time not because Everyone is scoring, everyone has 80 points in the table, but it was also in the first half of the Brasileirão, it was the first half that ended with the least number of points. The, the leader of the table had le the least number of points ever since 2003. So although we have good teams and uh, good matches, the we can see some this year, some really quality football going on. At the same time, it's very, very unstable. Uh, so the, the, the six teams that could win it are Sao Paulo, Internacional, Atletico Mineiro, Flamengo, Grêmio and Palmeiras. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. That's uh, right. If you had to, uh, you know, if we gave you a thousand euro now, me and Manu, because we're rich like that, uh, if we just put together that money and you had to bet it on one team, who are you going for? I would go for Sao Paulo. Okay. Yeah, I think Sao Paulo... Uh, um, it's this is why it's so tough to to make a prediction or to bet on someone because uh, two weeks ago São Paulo was like absolute favorites and then they lost two matches. Mm. <laughs> so this is what and, and they lost two matches. One of them to a team that is fighting against relegation and the other to Santos who actually used their under twenties team. So it was two matches that they had it in their pocket already. You know, it was pretty easy. Maybe that's the reason why they lost it because they thought they had already won. At the same time, one of their best players uh, was injured, so he didn't play these last two matches. So maybe that's also one of the reasons. This is the instability of Brasileirão. But I think São Paulo has um, more chances, not just because they're top of the table, but they're, they, they evolved more during the season than the other teams. The other teams kind of evolved backwards so Sao Paulo is, is is growing still okay and not your beloved Flamengo not my beloved Flamengo I don't think Flamengo is going to win anything because I mean they had so many chances to take the top of the table so many chances that they ruined it they lost so many opportunities against teams fighting for relegation it's just like you uh, I can't really bet on them oh well it sounds like you're coping well with it uh, which is nice to see uh, I, I, just as a final point on this coming back up um, next season is which is lovely to see is Coenze. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, if you haven't seen it, look it up online. The the video of the the team play uh, celebrating in the in the dressing room after the match. They're the team that suffered that horrific plane accident in 2016. The whole world was touched by it, and they you know they lost their whole squad, and they it's a very small team. By then, in 2016, they had moved from the fourth division to the first division in just four years so no investment no fans small town you know not very well-known players they moved to the first division and they managed to stay there so they were became kind of like you know that special team in brazil then they suffered that horrific accident they managed to 
hold on in the first division for a few more years, even after that. But then they got relegated last, uh, you know, two years ago. And it was great to see that they're coming back, they're top of the table. They might even, you know, stay in the first division for a few more years because they've been playing really, really good football in the second division. So that was really, really touching. <laughs> so this is all amazing, but unfortunately we can't use any of it in the podcast. No, we can't. <laughs> uh, and I've got a meeting in 20 minutes, so should we should... Let's we should, crack on. Let's crack on. Okay. <laughs> now, there's been a couple of turbulent weeks in the Women's Super League, and Angelina is here to talk us all through that. Uh, Angelina, where do we start? Dubai? Yes, we will start in Dubai, oh where um, oh the world God. and his dog have been, apparently, including so, the Women's Super League. Yeah, so, so fill the people in on, on, on what's happened here, who, who this might have passed them by. Okay, so over the Christmas period, there were several players from the Women's Super League. They travelled to Dubai on what is being called by some people a, a business trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, they're not really revealing anybody's names. I can kind of understand that one. And, and what it's meant is that some of the players that have returned from Dubai have tested positive for coronavirus. They've had to isolate. And this then meant that the first weekend of fixtures in 2021 one game went ahead, Reading and Chelsea, and every other game was postponed, basically because of these players uh, going abroad, apart from, I think, the Birmingham game, which was um, called off due to not having enough players because of injury, which is going to be investigated. This is a complete facepalm moment, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good look, and I think the fact that the three clubs in question are Arsenal, Manchester United, Manchester City... Um, yeah, just not not a good look at all. And I think the only saving grace for Manchester United is that they have actually come forward and apologised for it. So um, we had Arsenal. I think there were three players that went to Dubai, but mm-hmm. at the time, obviously, the coronavirus restrictions and lockdowns in the UK, London was in tier four, which means that you're not supposed to travel abroad except for business reasons, which is, I guess, why they're calling it a business trip. Um, so there were three players from Arsenal. Um, one of them did test positive, which meant that obviously all the other players had to isolate. Manchester City, um, four players came back testing positive. Obviously, the men's team as well have had their issues. Um, and Manchester United, actually, I mean, me as a Manchester Manchester United fan, this is the only positive I can take from my team being included in this, is that no one has actually apparently tested positive. The issue with their game came from Everton um, and their team that they'd tested positive for a few of their players. But as I say, Manchester United boss Casey Stoney has been the only one from the three teams to actually come out and say, you know what, I allowed my players to go home, see their families, go on holiday, take a break, and I shouldn't have done this. It was a club decision. Don't blame the players. It's completely on me. I take full responsibility, and I'm sorry. Um, Complete radio silence from City and Arsenal. So, yeah, not the best look for them. That's astounding. They've not said anything at all. No, uh, at at the time of of us uh, chatting, no, they haven't said anything. I mean, like I say, props to Casey Stone for coming out and saying, listen, the club were aware. And I think that's what they're trying to say is that, yeah, they've not done anything illegal, but morally, you you obviously have to question what they've done. Um, You know, they've not really taken the government guidelines into consideration in that really you shouldn't be travelling, but 
they have basically for a break. We'd all love a break. You know, I, I probably wouldn't want to go to Dubai because everyone's there. But yeah, we would all love a break to Dubai or somewhere warm. But, you know, we have to take things seriously. And I just think, you know, the example that it sets is not great. And like you say, for the other two clubs to not really say anything, um, yeah, it, it's not great. I mean, the thing is the clubs were aware. It's not like these players. It's not like you know, a Benjamin Mendy, they've just, you know, hired a chef and all these people to come around to the house and the club didn't know. The clubs were clearly aware of where their players were going. So to not come out and say, listen, we've all messed up a little bit here, it's it's pretty bad. Players are in such a privileged position, aren't they? That they can mm. they can go about their jobs relatively normal uh while the rest of the world around us uh sort of crumbles. Um uh, and it must be just so infuriating for for people, you know, not you know, for the other players uh, who re, you know re respected the guidelines, who didn't see their family, um, and now they're you know their their games are being called off. They've got to isolate. Exactly. It's so. It must be so frustrating that, like you say, if you've put in the work to, you know stick to the guidelines like you say people probably didn't go and see their families or maybe they saw one or two people from their families instead of everybody and they've stuck to all these rules so yeah it, it must be it's frustrating for the general public to read but to actually be another football player looking at your teammates like why did you have to go and do that it must be very irritating uh, yeah, I, I just yeah, I'm completely astounded by that they would that they would that they would even think that this is a good idea to do Completely astounded. Yeah. Um, all of which, uh, does this lead us to the coin toss? Oh dear! <laughs> I, things again, just, things that I'm yeah. th things that I'm annoyed about. Let's go. Yeah, I mean this coin toss situation. I'll explain. But again, this is one thing that I will kind of link the Dubai trips and this coin toss idea, which I'll explain. Is that with with the the women that have gone to Dubai they have messed up 100% but i don't understand i think that the amount of attention they're getting and the amount of people that are kicking off is completely justified but i think we do need to see it in the men's game as well you know ronaldo was in dubai so was gerard pk yep fair enough they were picking up awards but they could have done it virtually but that's okay they can go to dubai like i say the spurs men's team can go out partying Benjamin Mendy mm. um, and don't get me wrong I'm sure everybody maybe not Ronaldo and Piquet but you know those other players in the UK I'm sure everybody is also very frustrated but that seems to have been swept under the rug a little bit I will say mm. with the exception um, of Celtic let's say because they've, yeah. they've got a deserved kicking for what they've done yes 100% <laughs> um, but that's the only thing I will say is that these women deserve well these clubs deserve the amount of you know heat that they're getting but I do think that it should be across the board because they're all wrong um but this coin toss situation is again something that I don't I couldn't see happening in the men's game although they've said that it would happen I would be very surprised if we ever saw this so in the FA Cup um there are ties that need to be settled in the women's game in the second and third rounds um these have been suspended because of Covid so the idea in order to progress to the next round of the competition, they're going to do a coin toss. So the FA's director of the women's professional game, um, Kelly Simmons, she said that it would be the last option and it might be the only way that they can move to the latter rounds. And the issue is that the second and third rounds 
um, the clubs that are playing in these rounds are classed as non-elite, so they can't actually play under current restrictions. Mm. And then when it's the fourth round, that's when the Women's Super League, the championship clubs, they enter. Um, the only thing that I will say is that, um, fair enough, they're classed as non-elite, um, but yet we're also actually seeing in the UK semi-professional basketball is being classed as elite and they're being able to play. Fair enough, it's classed as a non-contact sport, but there's still a lot of contact in a sport like basketball. So I don't really understand how that's considered elite, but these women, to do with an FA Cup, a very big competition, that's not, there's not some kind of loophole with it. Um, But I mean, they're claiming that if it needed to be discussed in the men's team, it would. Like I say, I can't really see it happening. It's just, I mean, the managers that it was mentioned to, they've come out in interviews saying, is this a joke? Like, this has got Mm. to be crazy because not just women's football, just football in general, it is a disservice um, and it exposes the difference between elite and non-elite football in general. And imagine, you know, you are, say, you know, a non-elite club and you're in this FA Cup and you're thinking, you know what, we're looking good. This is an opportunity for us to really, you know, make our mark on this competition. No, 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 no. You're having a coin toss and whatever the result of that is what we're doing. It's just seems a bit harsh to me. It's, uh, we should call it what it is. It, it's, it's pretty much sexist. Yeah. That's exactly what it is because there's no way in hell they would do this in the men's game. No. Never. Well, well, look at the competition so far. It's all managed to happen, hasn't it? So. Funny that, isn't it, that they've managed mm, to get that one how through? How strange. I mean, at the end of the day, they postponed the Women's FA Cup final to November 2020. Um, but it still happened. So there must surely be some wiggle room because the the women's leagues, there are not as many teams in each Mm -hmm. league. So there are not as many games as we see in the men's, um, you know, the Premier League, the Championship, etc. So surely, I mean, I guess Dubai hasn't really helped with the amount of time that they're going to have to play these games, but they, they must surely be able to find some wiggle room to get these teams to play. And like I say, if semi-professional basketball that's not even competing for a massive trophy like on the same level as an FA Cup, if they're playing week in, week out, how is this not happening? Yeah, I, I, I'm astounded. I, you know, this first episode of 2021 is wild. <laughs> you very, know. very wild. We need to hit like a reset button or something. And again, no disrespect to, to basketball players. I, I know a few that are playing, which is hence why I know. But right. it's not on the same level as, as an FA Cup, men or, or women, in my opinion. No, and it, and again, it just wouldn't happen in the men's game. Just it would not. Wouldn't. 100% it would not. And, you know, they're kind of coming out saying that the testing, the medical support at these grassroots clubs isn't there. Why isn't it there? Why is their well-being not just as important as elite um, elite players? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I just It's a lot of excuses. And, you know, the FA really need to take a look at themselves and think, you know what, we need to just make this happen. Like we've made it happen for the men's uh, competition. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to really show a level, a level playing field here. Do we think there'll only be, uh, be any sort of repercussions from this Dubai gate and coin toss gate? I mean, people are talking about, you know, like a war in the Women's Super League and all this type of stuff. I think the fact that the players' names haven't really been released, I'm sure there's a few whispers as to who it is. I think providing next weekend we get back to a bit of normality, um, I would like to just see it kind of die away because at the end of the day these people have messed up I think they know 
well that they've messed up. Mm-hmm. At least Manchester United have admitted, you know, that they were wrong. Um, I think we just need to focus on games. And I, I think it just needs to be highlighted, like it has been highlighted, that, you know, these players shouldn't really be able to get away with it. Maybe there should be some kind of punishment for players all across the board. Who knows? But... I think there's going to be repercussions of people being frustrated, you know, people that are supporting these teams, you know, looking these, you know, football players in general, they're supposed to be role models, not really the best role model to be jetting off on new jollies in the middle of a pandemic. So it's, I think there will be a few repercussions, but I'm hoping that we'll just get back to focusing on the football. And I'm hoping that this coin toss idea is completely thrown out of the window. I think that will probably have the bigger repercussions. Uh, And another uh, 2021 uh, is wild news. Phil Neville is off to Inter Miami of all yes. places with David Beckham there I don't know how he got that job I, mean, I know no idea because no, they don't really know each other do they it's mm-mm. not like they both own a football club together or anything I know or, or that they played together for no, years or yeah. are good friends or anything like that so I'm not sure how not. Phil is, is going to get that job um, <laughs> it, but how do you think his time with, with the England's women team will be looked at? Um I think it's a mixed bag. I think he was a welcome change after all the controversy surrounding Mark Sampson. And he did obviously lead them to the She Believes Cup victory. Um, I think that was in 2019, I want to say, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, so, but that And that was great. But then the next She Believes Cup, they didn't win. Um, they came fourth in the World Cup considering they came third in 2015. It was disappointing. I think on the whole, at the beginning, it seemed positive because you thought, you know what, they've won the cup. Yeah, they came fourth in the World Cup, but you know what, we move, let's continue. But then since that, it's just been very, very downhill and he's not managed to get the best out of a group of women that have a lot of potential. So I think... um, Kind of like his playing career, I guess. Bit of a mixed bag. Um, <laughs> some some good, some bad, and some ugly. And some I guess. spectacular uh, quotes yes. <laughs> along the way. Uh, is there anybody you would like to see take over, or who do you think will take over? Well, taking over. See, the the thing is, is that he was supposed to be um, taking charge of the women's football team for the Olympics in mm. Tokyo. It's um, a huge deal, of course. Yeah, um, so that will not be happening. So we need somebody as an interim to take over for the Olympics. And then after that, I may say her name wrong, but it will be the Netherlands women's manager, Serena Weigman. Again, if I've said her name wrong, Mm. my apologies. So she has already signed a four-year deal. She's good to go. She's still with the Netherlands until after the Olympics. And then she will be heading over to sunny England. Um, But a very, very exciting manager. Um, She was named head coach for the Netherlands back in January 2017 and they won the Euros in 2017 and they actually beat Mark Sampson's England side in the semi-finals um, and they just lost out in the World Cup in 2019 to the USA um, so she's got experience in these big tournaments um, you know as a player she was captain of the Netherlands she made over 104 appearances she's a very competent you know player in her time very competent manager you know she's used to the success so I think and she was actually named FIFA coach of the year in 2017 so I think that she is a great name um, a great manager for England to have I mean I know that they were allegedly like 140 odd applicants for the wow. job 
Wow. Um, and there were a few people in the mix. Um, one of them was former USA manager Jill Ellis, um, who's won the past two uh, World Cups. Um, mm. And it was one of the favourites, but apparently it was this Netherlands coach who was the number one favourite. So they've done very well to get her. Um, she's already seems very, very excited about the prospect of working with the England team. And, you know, we've got the Euros, we've got the World Cup. There's lots to look forward to. There's lots for her to sink her teeth into. And I'm just hoping that she can rally this group of women that, like I say, have a lot of potential to do well in the upcoming competitions. So all very exciting stuff, but we're going to have to wait and see what happens with the Olympics and then we can get excited about that. Yeah, I I really just realised I phrased my question quite badly. What I meant to say, who would you like to see take over? I meant f- for the obviously the interim period uh, oh. coming coming up. But um, the uh, yeah, I remember watching her her Netherlands team at the at the last World Cup, and um, yeah, pretty exciting. So should mm. be should be a decent appointment for England. Yeah. Uh, final final point before we before we let you go, uh, Fran Kirby. Wow, fantastic! Yeah. <laughs> Gee, she's good. She's very good. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. You know what? Props to her. Um, you know, Reading was um, her old team. Mm. Um, and obviously she's now playing at Chelsea and she scored four of their five goals in their 5-0 win over them in the only game that took place at the weekend. Yeah, um, giving, us, giving us all a ray of hope. But <laughs> yeah, after at a least pretty there, terrible was, week. there was one positive, exactly. Um, and yeah, she's just a breath of fresh air. I mean, it's been tough for her. Um, she has battled injuries some illnesses but she's shining at the moment absolutely deserves it I think prior to the game Chelsea had actually failed to score more than once in a away game for uh, from home like an away game sorry I'm mixing mm-hmm. my words all season um, and seven minutes in she scored two so brilliant um, you know she's already Chelsea's leading all-time scorer she won the P- um, PFA Women's Players Player of the Year before she's also really vital in that national team she's been praised quite a lot um, so yeah I think you know what it's it's great when you see good players that are very talented you just want them you just want to see them play well and to see her on the pitch getting those four brilliant goals um, it, it's just brilliant and I mean Chelsea are three points behind league leaders Man United mm, I was just about should... to, just about to point that out with a game in hand yes mm. yes and they should be playing this weekend Covid depending um, so I'm sure Chelsea will be hoping she's on form I will not <laughs> as, a, as a football fan, I hope she has a great game. As a Manchester United fan, um, I hope that she doesn't. But you know what? Uh, props to her. Like I say, it's great to see her playing so well. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Joanna, Manu, and Angelina. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, should you miss us, you can listen to the back catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, the address to do so: podcast at onefootball.com.